Welcome back to the Bite of D&D podcast, where we take chunks of content and flavor it for your campaigns and adventures. I am Micah, and to the left of me is my co-host, Zach. And today we are going over vampires, specifically the plane shift vampires that Wizards of the Coast has provided uh, with their Magic the Gathering setting. Yeah, um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Magic, like myself, this is supplementary material that... Wizards has either unofficially officially put out or officially unofficially put out that allows you some rules and guidelines to bring the magic world into the D&D rules. And part of that, uh, what has came along with part of that is this idea of vampires. Forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, you magic fans, but uh, as I understand them, they are a living humanoid race who must drain life from others to fuel their own. So they're very similar to your average modern-day vampire, but as, but they're considered more of a, a full race with its own society as opposed to an individualized person. That, yeah, that has contracted vampiracy or something yeah. like that. Now, I feel like it is specific to... Uh, it is important to mention that we're not really looking at this race as a Magic the Gathering uh, game. Neither one of us uh, really do much with Magic. We're looking at this more as a way for you to bring vampires into your players in a way that is, uh, I would say, relatively balanced. So I'm sorry to any Magic the Gathering fans. You can obviously use this for that. That is why they provided the documents, but we are not treating this as if it is in the Magic world. Yeah, and let's jump in just a quick side note, because I don't know how many of the listeners out there are familiar with the Plane Shift supplementary material, which is the Magic Gathering stuff. Um, it's all free. It's all written by Wizards employees. Um, you can find the downloads online. We'll post a link to this one in our face on our Facebook page. They are really cool. This one uh, in particular is really great because it has numerous sub-races for the pre-existing races. It has four new races, a nice-sized little bestiary. It doesn't have a lot of stat blocks in that bestiary, unfortunately. Mainly it's just artwork and cool descriptions. But the incorporation of so many new sub-races, and then also four new races that maybe aren't uh, Adventurers League fair play, but they are and at least in my opinion, pretty well balanced, um, mm-hmm. is a pretty nice feature. And I always go to this when I'm building a homebrew world. I always go to this and say, are any of these races something that I want to incorporate? Maybe rename, maybe re-flavor a little bit. But, but there's some interesting stuff in here that I always want to at least consider. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe dive into how we would add or why we would add vampires, these vampires, into our game. Well, I mean, when people think of... D&D, fantasy settings, stuff like that, it is not uncommon for them to think of vampires. Recently in one of the games we played, uh, we had someone that the first thing that they thought of was, can I play a vampire? Yeah. And, and it's hard to say no in every situation like that. Sometimes you want to say yes, and then the question becomes, how do I say yes? Yeah, because you want to do it in a way that's going to be balanced, that's not going to make other players feel like they're weak or meaningless. Because if you, you have to be careful with stuff like this, because if you go to like the D&D wiki, things like that, and look at the homebrew stuff, um, a very large portion of that, if you just throw it in your game, is going to be 
really overpowered. It's, it's one of the difficult things about creating your own races for this, and that's why this is, is a super handy thing to, to look at because it is it, it is very well balanced. It's made by the people who made the game, and it, it fits pretty well within the world with everything else. Yeah, the worst thing that you can do is just pull vampires as a race and give that to your character and pull it directly from the monster manual as a monster. That's the absolute worst. Yeah, Next to that would be homebrew. And then anything else in that is bad. bad yeah, better. yeah. Like, it, there's so many powerful things vampires can do that would not be appropriate to just hand to a player. I mean, cast. I, I mean, if you do that, you you eliminate the use and point of your guys who are playing casters somewhat. It, it it trivializes a lot of roles. So you want to make them feel unique, but without breaking it. And you can always, you know, if they are climbing levels, and you want, and you can always game, add some of that in as they they come into this power as a vampire and stuff like that. Because by higher levels, it won't matter. Right. Like, a good example would be uh, Shape Changer, which is something that the monster has, um, where they can turn into bats or a swarm of bats or whatever whatever you want to call it, whatever you want it to be. That's not an ability a first-level player should have. But, you know, if you say, listen, this player has done really well in developing his race as a important facet of himself, then maybe at 10th level, you know, when other creatures are getting fly and polymorph and shape change and stuff like that. Um, with their classes, this is an opportunity to say, listen, as a little special ability, you can shape change once a day or something like that. that that'll at least be safe. Well, especially if it's something like a bat, it, it provides some utility. It's kind of cool. Again, it makes them feel like they're a vampire, but it's not so strong that it's going to, to break anything. Yeah. Another cool thing, uh, a reason why you would have this into your game is there are people out there who love to play the evil campaign, right? I'm not one of those people, typically. I think that it, it has its place, but a whole campaign or something like that is just too much. But when you do encounter those people and you're building that evil world or that evil campaign setting, you want to have, in my mind, players want to play those evil races. They want to play a vampire. They want to play a goblin. They want to play an orc. They want to play a werewolf, if whatever. If they're a mage, maybe they want to, to work over time and become a lich. Yeah, exactly. They, they, when you play an evil game, you don't want to be the same characters who do bad stuff. Nobody wants to play, at least I don't think, nobody wants to play an evil monk <laughs> in an evil campaign, right? They want to play something that they see uh, in other stories or stuff. It's these, these big baddies, in a sense. And this race allows them to get that feeling early on without actually you having to give them a whole bunch of abilities or weird things. One of the cool things that, that I like is that they do have kind of a, a bite, a drain attack available to these guys yep. without completely making healing kind of a joke. I yep. mean, healing has traditionally in D&D, I feel like been pretty weak generally the heals are pretty light out of combat it's super useful but if you're in the middle of an encounter you might heal maybe a, a half of the damage that they're they can swing in a turn on you and your turn is generally better spent disabling them outright defeating them things like that i mean healing has its place but it's not generally incredibly strong and this bite, while I, I, I do believe allows them to get some healing, does not make them feel like they are now a one-man wrecking crew that can just wade into battle and come out unscathed. Yeah. Uh, another really cool thing that I like about this race, um, and this would obviously, it's just flavor, it's optional, you could you could get rid of it for your world, but the planes shift uh, vampires have these cool bone spurs that come off their shoulders and elbows. That's not something you're going to see every day in a vampire, but it's just 
this cool added element that I was like, hey, I kind of like that, and, you know, would give them something visibly, because I think a lot of times with these sub-races, and even in the plane shift supplement, you, it falls into this trap of like, oh, here's this new race, and I can't really tell the difference between it and an elf, or whatever, right? So this is kind of was a cool thing that makes vampires look like something other than a human. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like that. Now, the other option you've got if you want to introduce something like this, and this is where you need to start kind of being careful, but if, if you don't want it to be an entirely new race, you still want people to be able to be a human vampire, an orc vampire, a, a whatever. Um, the other option you can do, and they've got an example of this in the book for Lycanthropes. We did an episode a while back on these, and we kind of went on a tangent on templates, but you can draw inspiration from that sort of, from that, and create a template for the vampires. Um, that way, you can provide them with these bonuses. You can lay it over any existing uh, race, class, and and roll with it. Even if it's something like, this may be too strong. I, I think this was similar in Pathfinder, though, because I know Pathfinder had some templates for it. Uh, you set their strength to 20. Well, if they're already playing a fighter or something, they're probably already putting their attributes into to strength anyway. Um, and if they're playing a wizard, well, yeah, they, they got a free 20 in strength, but how often is that going to change the primary play style of that wizard? Yeah. I mean, the, the wizard's not going to suddenly be running into battle swinging a sword. Um, he still has no hit points. He still has right. no proficiency in armor, things like that. He, he's still relatively easy to kill. So you're not, you're not breaking um, another class, uh, but you're giving them the feeling of being this more powerful creature, this supernatural thing. Um, and, and so you can pretty easily overlay a template with that. And again, that also allows you to add in those leveled abilities that we were talking about, where at level 10 they unlock the ability to shapeshift into a bat or uh, turn invisible or something like that. Uh, charm person is another very uh, typical vampire thing. Cool. How about now we go into some different plot hooks or different elements that you can use to bring vampires into your game that are maybe more than like... There's a spooky castle up on the hill, and there's a vampire that lives there. Like, what's some ways that you, if, if you like the idea of vampires, that you could bring that into your campaign world or to an adventure? Um, so maybe I'll start with one, and then you can dive into another one. So maybe on more of the ridiculous side, maybe you stop into a random tavern in a large city, um, and unknown to you, this is a vampire bar, and only blood is served, and it's just filled with, with that type of individual. How long will it take players to figure this out? And what will they do afterwards? Uh, what will the other patrons do and how will they respond? So this is a fish out of water in the opposite sense, whereas in other ideas, it's a vampire being introduced to a human world and how they respond. Now you are being placed in the vampire world. How do you respond? And that kind of that's kind of a blade to almost way of approaching this, but I kind of like the idea of putting the players in a realm where maybe the right decision isn't to just decide they're going to fight a whole bar full of vampires. I'm assuming in this situation that O negative is going to be like the top shelf. Right, yeah, like a top shelf uh, uh, decor. Uh, yeah, for sure. Anything you have as far as ideas for, for vampires? Well, so, uh, if you're running an evil campaign, something like that, maybe you've got a vampire that's requesting uh, specific types of blood, or blood from specific uh, creatures from a list, and he's willing to pay you good money to acquire this for him. Similar to, like, you know, someone who collects fine wines. Yeah. Um, he, he's looking to have a, a wide collection of 
blood delicacies, I guess, uh, very, very fine blood types uh, from different creatures. So he, he tells you you can take any equipment, gold, whatever you want, just bring him uh, an uncorrupted sort, like, a, like a, vial a vial of blood or whatever for him. That's cool. And this list is is going to include, you know, some, some humanoids, some other people. It's not just going to be monsters. And I think that's important to note. It's an important side note to make is that if you, if you are doing an adventure or a campaign for evil characters, giving them something like this, a quest hook, that doesn't just let them run amok, but is a is a direction. It's important. And it may sound ridiculous, but yeah, and to some extent it is ridiculous. But but it's important to have these types of things and to think of like, okay, so in their side of the world, how how are things similar but yet the same? And I think this is a good example of that where you can kind of get the evil characters into a quest that's not just like do whatever we want, take whatever we want, kill whoever we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing that I'll suggest is maybe the vampires are split into two main camps with like the older, more traditional vampires hunting down many of the newer ones who value freedom and have the players take in or help some refugees who wind up being vampires and they are being hunted by the older pack. So it's kind of this idea of like make it more than us or them. But but there's but there's there's multifacets. Yeah, there's, there's gray there's, areas. There's factions within it's not like they're all a cohesive unit against humanity. They have their own politics, things like that that they, they're trying to establish. Right. Sometimes, a lot of times, players want to choose a side. And if you give them side A, side B, then obviously they're always going to go with the side that leans most heavily to them. But if you give side A, side B, side C, and they have to choose between B and C and their A, <laughs> they're, now there's really some thought that goes in, some important decision-making, and I think that's always a good thing. Okay, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, you can hear our dog barking in the background. I think that means it's time uh, to shut her down. So we appreciate you listening to this episode and join us again next week. See ya.